Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Fenstaden of Witz University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and a very good evening to Beijing, where Hannah Wanjie Ryder, also Zhui Wanjie, so uh, two names there today, a Chinese and a Kukuyu name, uh, joins us uh, from Beijing, where she's the deputy country director for the United Nations Development Program in China. Uh, Hannah, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Good well, evening. H- Hannah came to us uh, via, I think it was on our from our Facebook page. We saw you, and then all of a sudden, you were starting to blog, and you've just got this new posting in Beijing for the United Nations Development Program. Prior to that, you'd been working with the UK development agency DFID. But the reason why we're so excited to have you on the show is because you've just arrived in Beijing about a month and a half ago to take on your new position as the deputy country director. But prior to that, uh, you've spent time in Kenya, which is uh, and are you? of Kenyan? Yes, I was born in Kenya and lived there for 10 years, the first 10 years of my life. And I still have quite a few family there, including my dad. Wonderful. So what we're going to try and get from you today is to kind of compare what your impressions are of, say, Nairobi and, and Beijing. You are fresh off the boat, as we say. So first impressions are very important. Let us just kind of start, particularly for a lot of our listeners who've never been to China before, kind of tell us a little bit about what your first month and a half has has been like. And in terms of development, uh, you know, understanding the Chinese thinking and your impressions of the Chinese. Mm, um, great. Well, um, I guess the first month and a half that I've had have been uh, very busy. Um, I've certainly been thrown in in the deep end. Uh, Several, uh, I have had to make quite a lot of speeches related uh, to China's approach to development, issues um, remaining in China in terms of its development um, problems, but also about how China is helping others also develop. Um, So I've had in a sense, a dual focus and several things to learn. Um, but one of the interest, one of the key things that has struck me now being in China is actually um, that although many people think that China is a very um, well-developed country, and if you're, you know, when you arrive in Beijing, you arrive in the, you know, really beautiful airport, and you see that the infrastructure is very strong. Uh, you know, very clean and so on. Um, and, you know, many people know the background that over the last decade or so, China has lifted 600 million people out of poverty. But getting to UNDP, one of the things I've realised is that still there are around, depending on what kind of poverty line you use, there are around 80 to 200 million people still uh, in poverty in China, uh, underneath the uh, poverty line, and um, and so that's still a huge major challenge to the degree that uh, the Chinese government just uh, a few days ago on the seventeenth um, of October had their uh, annual domestic poverty reduction day to really highlight. Um, and increase awareness around these major challenges that China is still facing. 
You know, Cobus, it's interesting to hear what Hannah's saying because uh, that echoes, in fact, quite a, quite a bit of the rhetoric we hear from Chinese officials who, who really emphasize in their relationship with Africa that they too are a developing country, they too are confronting poverty. Poverty not on a kind of a small scale, but poverty on a massive scale. I mean, 200 million people is two-thirds of the size of the United States. Um, yeah. And yet, at the same time, there's a difficulty because, you know, Hannah, your your background's in climate change, for example, and the U.S., one of the criticisms that they have of the Chinese is that they should be kind of equated to a, a not a developing country, a developed country. And Cobus, one of the things that we talk often about is how many Africans now are starting to kind of mix or equate China with, say, a European power or a U.S. or Japanese power, a f an advanced economy, when in fact, as Hannah's pointing out, they're far from being an advanced economy. I want to get your, your thoughts on what Hannah said, Kobus. I also see it in my teaching and in, in just, you know, kind of a, I, I've been teaching a course on China-Africa relations uh, um, over the last few months. And in just speaking with students, you get the same impression that China is a rich country. You know, kind of Africa is a poor country and China is a rich country. And then, you know, and, and then you, you start making the distinction saying like, no, look, if you, if you talk, for example, about Western China, certain parts of Western China actually face bigger developmental challenges than, than many parts of Africa. And then people are completely, you know, kind of flabbergasted to hear that. Um, so it really is interesting to see how China in a way is almost becoming a victim of its own success in a way in, you know, kind of in that there's all of this pressure to to try and you know kind of conform to western western levels of aid western levels of of helping in different kinds of crises um even though you know in in many ways you know china china is still developing um Hannah, do you see you know having spent time in both nairobi and in um and in beijing is development understood in the same way in africa and china or or do we need to unpack that concept a bit more um well well i think I think the utility of China being a country which has had incredible growth, I don't think we should forget that. Um, you know, although, yes, there are these huge, there is still, there are still huge challenges and, you know, exactly the same, well, there are many issues that China still, Chinese officials and government policy is still, you know, focused on, which are very similar to the ones that you might hear in uh, that African leaders focused on um, things like the health challenges, microfinance ideas, um, you know, helping uh, businesses and entrepreneurs uh, to 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 move on and and uh, and grow. Um, there's there is still a degree to which you know, obviously, China is in, in a very different place, and part of that is uh, the degree of infrastructure that China has had. Um, and also the, the institutions that China's had in order to um, deliver that. Um, so if you, you know, if you look, for instance, at the scale of uh, China's urban rail networks, they are just of a completely different scale to what you might see in Africa, uh, in, in African countries. Um, so there is, you know, I think one of the one of the useful aspects of China having uh, progressed so much over the past um, few decades is that China offers a slightly different model, in a sense, for a model of development for African countries to aspire to um, and to and to learn from, uh, based 
whereas in the past they might have just looked at uh, Europe um, or America in a in a particular as a particular model and path of development, but they can look at China and see something that's quite different, and I think that's quite helpful. Yeah, I mean that diversity of approach is very interesting because for too long Africa was dependent on more or less uh, one model of development, which was the European model, and then later the American model. And I guess I would like to ask you, maybe not from the point of view of your new UN assignment, but your experience with DFID in the UK aid agency, and that one of the things that the Chinese have done is that they looked at the model for aid in Africa. Uh, from what the West has done for a long time and said, this is broken, that billions of dollars are going in and basically not helping people. They get siphoned off in bureaucracy or they get siphoned off in corruption. And so the Chinese came in and they said, we're going to build the roads ourselves. We're going to build the infrastructure ourselves. That's number one. And that way, the money goes directly to the project. Now, that's controversial because that money also stays purely in a Chinese kind of economic circle. But in terms of the effectiveness of delivering aid, uh, there's a very compelling argument that it's in some ways more effective because more of that money is being applied to the source. At the same time, though, um, it's been very threatening to the West. And I'm curious to see how your perception as somebody who's worked in London with the Western development, and now you're in Beijing in a, in a, in a Chinese kind of context in development, trying to accomplish many of the same objectives, just using different paths to get there. What your impressions are of, of that culture? Mm. I mean, again, I think the diversity of approach is really helpful. I I, I do think that it's helpful for countries to have choice of different approaches. Um, so, you know, if you're an African uh, leader or an official, to have to have that choice of can shall we go for an infrastructure loan or shall we go for um, a you know a, a more traditional loan or grant, which might be more uh, restricted in in other kinds of ways. Um, I think that's that's helpful to have that to have that choice. Um, interestingly enough, you know, now being in Beijing, one of the things that's, that has uh, struck me again, being uh, from from Nairobi, uh, just recently, one of the um, one of the new roads that was built in Nairobi is called Thika Highway. My uh, dad just lives off there, and you can see that it's exactly. It hadn't. I hadn't really. It hadn't struck me before getting to Beijing. But the design is very, very similar. So you see the same uh, uh, highway uh, design, the same uh, um, walkways and things like that, which are which are created. So that's really interesting. Um, but because because it was uh, built by built by China um, by by Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, think that's that's actually it's also it's happening with housing developments in parts of Africa as oh. well, where these kind of Chinese style apartment buildings are starting to pop up in different African countries. Apparently, yeah. But it might be that these are actually potentially more applicable to um, to African countries than say a European housing model. It, it is entirely possible that that's the case. I don't know for sure. Um, but I, I think it's 
if you have, if countries have choice, then they can decide. You know, Cobus, um, Hannah's being very polite here, and I know she, in her role as a UNDP official, cannot say what I'm about to say. So, Hannah, close your ears right now. But <laughs> the, the, there's a 50-year legacy of just incompetent, wasteful Western aid, which is completely inappropriate and, uh, you know, not applicable for Africa. Tractors that are too expensive that there's no maintenance supplies. Uh, wheat that is, you know, cannot be milled properly. Uh, because so much of the aid is driven by demand domestic lobbies back home. So, um, you know, I'll say that the, one of the things that the, now the Chinese may fall into that same pattern, but uh, the Western aid history is not very impressive in my in my view. So I interrupted you, Cobus. Go ahead. Well, you know, kind of, I think it's not only the Western aid models. There's also Western ideas of development and success. You know, just yeah. simply um, urban urban development models. So, for example, Johannesburg is is essentially based on Los Angeles, who has a very similar kind of design as Los Angeles with large freeways. You know, kind of a very car based kind of design. And Johannesburg's traffic is a nightmare. Um, you know, kind of, and and you have similar kind of problems popping up in other parts of Africa as well. It seems to me that, you know, kind of the East Asian, you know, kind of train lines and and big, uh, big kind of apartment complex kind of ways of, of, of building cities has a lot to offer. Actually, Hannah, I don't know if you agree. Well, I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head about this question of ideas or success. And I think in some ways, part of part of the issue with um, development assistance before China was that it was almost... You, you kind of had two choices, right? Which was either, um, you know, a country should sort of aim to look like Europe, a very kind of sanitized, um, clean way of working, um, you know, public, uh, publicly provided transport, um, you know, small rural roads and all that sort of thing. Or you choose a kind of rural idyll and you try and maintain that rural idyll and make sure that, you know, people in the rural areas are, you know, uh, looked after and so on. And what China kind of provides is a, is a is something that's completely in between that um, of, yes, we still need to look after the rural areas, but here's a, here's a slightly, a, a more... Um, less sanitized version yeah. of development, and you see it on things like you know here in here in Beijing, you see um, the the flourishing of private forms of transport. They might not necessarily be fully um, that they're, they're not necessarily regulated. The tuk tuks and so on, they're not regulated, but you do have that individual freedom to start your own business. Um, and, and try out new things, whereas, and that's exactly what you see on Kenya Street. You see the Matatus. Now they they have had to be regulated because they um, were were causing were causing problems and so on. But that that freedom to just where where the state just kind of either isn't there necessarily to intervene or just allows individual freedom in that sense to flourish that i think that's that it's a great it's potentially more applicable than the um the rural versus 
uh, very sanitized well, me, vision me, of success. Let me take this one step further in the, the relevance of China's experience and how it applies to Africa. When I first started going to China, and I started my Chinese studies 30 years ago, so I'm revealing my, my age here or my neurosis as a youth. Uh, but uh, it's been 30 years now. 1989 was the first time I went to China. At that time, only about 20% of the country was urbanized. Uh, in the course of the past 30 years, China has urbanized over 600 million people to now six to 700 million people. And that process is continuing. They want to move away from a rural country into an urban country. And they've been doing it at a phenomenal pace. And that urbanization is going to continue. Well, a very similar trend is underway across most of Africa, either by design or happenstance. Africa is urbanizing. And I don't know the exact statistics about whether or not it's 50% or whatnot, but the trend is definitely towards urbanization. And cities like Cape Town or Nairobi are just turning into these massive, massive cities. And so in some ways, the the, the Chinese bring that experience of, of rapid urbanization in one generation, whereas in the West, I think, and in Japan, that urbanization experience is a century old. Um, and people don't think about urbanization and development in the same way. They don't think about clean water and infrastructure in the same way. Uh, and so I'm curious to, you know, about your thoughts in terms of, again, from a more of a development point of view, looking at the applicability of China's experience today based on what it's gone through just in recent memory. That is, the project managers who are working in Africa did that work in China 10 years ago. Um, and if you think that the Chinese experience is relevant for what Africa is going through today. Well, I, I definitely think it's relevant. Um, and, and and I think China realises that and its emphasis in particular on spending foreign assistance in African countries, I think, exemplifies exactly that. Um, and, and the fact that there is such demand from African countries, not just for the finance, but also for the kind of training, the various workshops, the interaction, the trade with China and so on, just I think it illustrates that it's it's it is it, it feels like it's a mutually in many ways it is it, it's something that African countries certainly demand. Um, um, at the but, same time, you, yes. you, so sorry to interrupt. At the same time, there's also sometimes some resistance from Africa. Like we, you know, kind of we recently spoke to a, a, a Kenyan grad student who's, who's working in, in in Australia at the moment, um, and who, who, you know, he argues that that China is essentially destroying African ways of life. Looking into the future, do you, do you foresee a, a, a greater, closer, more organic kind of cooperation in terms of development between China and Africa, or do you? foresee it maybe hitting a wall at some stage? Well, I, I think partly the issue is that increasingly China is recognising and is going to have to recognise even more that African countries are really diverse. And so whereas, you know, the Chinese approach, you know, how did China lift 600 million people out of poverty? There are particular approaches that China has the Chinese government has taken to do that. And part of that is this is, is a really interesting approach of try something out, pilot it small scale, and then just scale it up if it works. That might not necessarily work in, in the African context because African countries are so diverse. And so, you know, I think China's going to have to think much more about how it can tailor its support to different African countries um, and engage in a bit more of a of a, of a detailed 
um, understanding of the context in order to really, you know, we were talking about effectiveness earlier. I think that is one of the key effectiveness challenges for China. That said, I think, you know, Chinese officials can come up with creative solutions because China itself is incredibly diverse. Um, but but it's really about tapping into those different um, solutions which have been found, really getting underneath, okay, was it this particular regulation that helped or this particular policy environment? Um, you know, China might export uh, special economic zones, for instance, uh, to African countries, but some of them might not work so well. It needs to get into those into those issues and get into the bit, a bit more detail about exactly why and, and uh, what are the key things that are really important. And I'm going to add one final point onto what you said, looking towards the future, Cobus, which is don't forget that there's a you know a whole generation of young Chinese project managers who are in Africa today working. There's a lot of 20 and 30-somethings that are there. They're there on either for state-owned enterprise projects, they're there as independently, they're there as migrants, but a lot of them are going to go back home eventually and take that experience with them. And I think that as we look to the next five, 10 years in development, that experience is going to really pay off in, in very interesting ways or reveal itself in very interesting ways ways, because you have a whole population of young people, or not even young people, but just people who, who are on the ground and getting that experience, learning languages, learning cultures, learning the differences and the variety and the diversity of African society. So uh, I, I tend to share Hannah's optimism there. Hannah, we do not have enough time to go deeper into this, but we wanted to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Hannah Ryder, Hannah Wanjia Ryder is the Deputy Country Director for the United Nations Development Program in China. She's newly arrived, uh, but yet at the same time, as you can hear, from the past uh, 20 minutes of our discussion, very well versed in the in the development issues affecting Europe, the United uh, Europe, Africa, and uh, and China as well. So, Hannah, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. And it, what we like to do at the end of every show is kind of drop people off at uh, at your social media front door. If people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you? Um, well, I'm both on uh, Weibo and Twitter on the same uh, on the same hashtag uh, username, which is at HMRider. And are you doing so Weibo you in Chinese or in English? Um, I'm doing it in both. Okay. Yes. Well, that's a yes. boy. You're really diving into uh, to the Chinese <laughs> side, which is excellent. So, uh, and then uh, if for our Chinese listeners, uh, you can contact. It's not Hannah Wanjie Writer, but it's Zhui Wanjie, Zhui Wanjie. So uh, on Weibo at HM Writer, and then you can look her up. So that's excellent. Uh, I'm, I'm. You can. We'll connect on Weibo as well. So uh, for anybody who wants right. to follow me on, on Weibo, my name is uh, Lao Wai Kamfa. So foreigner's perspective, and uh, my username is. Which is big nose foreigner. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so that's my, uh, for, for all of our Chinese fans who want to follow my, my Weibo, uh, and you can see what life is like in Vietnam and whatnot. So, Kobus, I expect that you're going to be writing mostly in English on your social media. Yes, sadly. English or Japanese? <laughs> We're a very eclectic um, bunch here. <laughs> my, um, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque, S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well, where I only write in English at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Of course, if you want to uh, listen to this podcast, uh, we recommend that you check out China File. That's uh, C-H-I-N-A-F-I-L-E.com. Uh, I'm not sure if you get that there, Hannah, behind the Great Firewall, but it is probably the best site for China news and analysis. And we have a partnership with them where our podcast is posted there every week. So it's a great way to follow us. Also stay on top of some of the best minds and what they're thinking and reading and writing about China. Also, SoundCloud, Stitcher, 
iTunes. Just look for China Africa Project and you'll find us. And of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.